Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Two seconds. He'll get a shot off on the way. Got it! Finds one and there's your game winner. On the move, on the way. Tucker will score. Sean Tucker with a touchdown. Gillen. Got it! Derek, you win! Are you serious? Five down. One to go. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, here with the Believe in Syracuse podcast, episode 62, presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. And once again, for the third straight episode, we have a trio of wonderful people to talk to you about everything Syracuse athletics. We have Sammy and Josh with myself. Guys, how are you doing today? We have a lot to talk about. There's a lot of craziness in Orange Land, some good, some not so good. But uh, how are you all doing today? Go same, you got it. I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated that I'm not in North Carolina. That's that's really <laughs> all I got to say. I am upset that I had class today, and I'm so upset that I have a final on Monday. That's that's really all I got to say. We'll get into the the, what, the reason why in a few minutes. Okay, okay. A little bit of a negative Nancy over here. I'm going to try to lift the spirits up a little bit, Sammy. Uh <laughs> About two weeks until I go back home. Obviously, this is not kid. This is not a video. We don't use the visuals, but I have my Memphis jacket on. Memphis basketball has some big games coming up this weekend. Um, you know that's a big thing to me. And yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. I've been been accused about six months now. So you know, see the it, the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm ready to get back to Tennessee. Christmas, all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, just recharge and come back. You know, for the, the new year. That's that's good to hear. Um, and you know, I I think. Uh, I understand Sammy's frustration. I I had I had an opportunity to that um in 2016. I think it was either tw- I don't remember if it was the 2016 Final Four or 2013 Final Four. One of those two. When Syracuse men's basketball went to uh the Final Four. I had an opportunity to go cover it. I was all set to go cover it. Uh, we won't get into specifics as to why it happened, but um my spot to cover it got taken last minute unexpectedly, and I was unable to cover it. So I completely understand the frustration of wanting to be somewhere, thinking you're going to be somewhere, and then it it doesn't work out for whatever reason. Um, it's it's unfortunate, but we uh, we move on. First world problems, right? Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive your rewards. Bet Online, where the game starts. Uh, but the reason that, that he's upset that he's not in North Carolina isn't because he has some affinity for North Carolina. It's not because he's moving there to run for senator of the United States. It's nothing crazy like that. It's because Syracuse men's soccer is playing in Cary, North Carolina, in the final four of soccer called the College Cup. 
and they won three to two against Creighton on a goal in the final six ish minutes of the game. I believe if, if I'm remembering the exact timing correctly, um, it, it was, it was a fantastic game. It was extremely entertaining. It was exactly what Sammy said it would be when we uh, discussed this in our previous episode, high scoring, lots of opportunities. You could have had a couple of more goals on each side, um, more than what they what they ended up with but it was a fantastic match it was back and forth um it it was it was about as good as college soccer gets and Syracuse gets that late goal to uh move ahead and and holds off Creighton and wins the game even though Creighton had a couple of opportunities late to try to tie it up and they advanced to their first ever national championship game what did you take away from that from that game Sammy uh one just how much like th- this team is a team like we talked <clears throat> excuse me in the most recent uh set of media days is that this team like actually feels like a family and you ask each and every one of them they break it down in a way that those artificial programs maybe who say they're a family it's 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 a different feel it's something i haven't been a been a part of been around noticed before you can see it. How many game-winning goals has this team scored this season? I think Levante has seven himself. The This team just does not quit. And that's culture. That's your coach. That's your team. That's everything. This team does that has a lot of fight. And again, you saw a Creighton team that's at the top of their game right now. And the longest win streak um, of any team coming into this round of the tournament. I believe it was seven, if I'm not mistaken. I think Syracuse had six. Um, they had some crazy upsets with Washington and, uh, and Duke, all the momentum in the world and played very well in this game, but Syracuse still found a way. And that's that heart. That's that grit. That's the desire that they've shown all season. Now, full transparency, you know, I've talked about it um, uh, with you multiple times, Sammy, and, you know, we recorded with Mark and I talked about it, you know, soccer novice. But putting my eyes on the game and having people like you and Sydney, you know, explain it to me. You know, I understand the angles, speed versus, you know, the sport I play, brute physicality of imposing your will. So when I look at Levante Johnson, uh, Nathan Apoku, you know, especially with the with their position being midfielders, like them controlling the action, those guys being, you know, disruptive in multiple facets of the game, you know, being able to impact, you know, all the facets of the game facilitating, you know, playmaking, like you said, with Levante having seven. I know that's a lot for a soccer player. And, you know, defending with just with their speed, you know, being able to make plays on ball. So, again, full transparency, didn't watch the game, but looking at the stats, those guys are responsible for two of your three goals. And it's like your best players, your best players being playing best when they need to. So, you know, we, again, I think they're one of the, if not having watched much, much other college soccer besides Syracuse, I will find it hard to find a more dynamic duo than those two guys. And um, we have as much, as much momentum as you uh, we got going to the title game. You know, I find it hard to, uh, to see anybody not going to wish SU. Yo, Mike. Uh, yeah, I, I muted myself. I know. Novice <laughs> mistake. I know. Uh, I, I, uh, I have a counterpoint to your seven goals is a lot for soccer. And that is uh, you never played me on Sega Genesis FIFA 94. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Seven Obviously. goals was a per average game for me. Just saying. Uh, that said, Sammy, uh, I, I want to get your thoughts on this. And, you know, again, it, Josh says novice soccer mind. I, I would I would uh, probably put myself in that same category. Right. But it seems like every time Syracuse needs a late goal to win it, it's always Levante Johnson. It's always him. It seems like it seems like he, it, every game winner is his. 
it's it's crazy that that he continues to find ways to make uh, big plays. And I know, you know, part of the the goal in this game was he made a terrific run, but he obviously had a great pass and and it wasn't it's not just him. Right. That that's doing it. But it always seems like he's on the finishing end of it. Um, am, am I wrong in, in that thought, in that perception? And if I'm not, why, why is it always him? Uh, I mean, I feel like if you were to ask any, like anyone under the age of like 24, they would just call him, him. Like they would, they would say, that's him. He's him. He's him. And yes. He is him. I'm familiar um, with do that. Soccer term. players get him. Do they get him? Are those yes. I don't know. I think Levante. Can it's get applicable think, to everything, but Levante okay. deserves it. If I yeah. mean, okay. It's tailgating season, and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. All right, so Hi, that I'm was uh, just a just a correction on that one. That was Levante's eighth game winner of the season. Um, Golly, eight game winners on the season. Uh, second on the team is a tie between Labeled and Apoku with three. But again, they've had on uh, different like they've had so many clutch goals, and yes, it does come down to Levante a lot of the time. But I think it's he's kind of the finishing touch. He's that quality you need at the end. And a lot of teams typically won't score those late goals, not because they don't have the midfield, not because they don't have really good strikers, but they don't have the collective ability to connect the two. You need that final bit of quality from your strikers to be able to put the ball in the back of the net and, or connect your midfield to your, to your forwards. Cause sometimes that's the most difficult part. And actually one thing that Colin Byros does very well is connect that midfield or that back line to your forwards. And again, when you are a player of his quality, he's an All-American, just got named first-team All-American today. Nathan Apoku, third-team All-American. Um, so there's some dogs. I don't know what no one else you want me to say. These two, uh, these two are incredible, but Levante is kind of – he's come through in very big moments. And I also want to give a little credit to Anthony Sinclair for saving that ball off the line uh, very early in the game. It could have played out very differently had that one being able to cross the line massive plays from Russell Shealy. I feel like he's almost been as clutch, if not more clutch. Uh, I can't say more clutch, but as clutch as Levante Johnson this season. Uh, but this was one of the first games in a long time where I've seen Syracuse get outshot and um, not control the brunt of the opportunities like they have in the past couple of rounds and really have the wealth of uh, wealth of the chances, but still they found a way to win. And it just shows you kind of what this team has and that grit, that fight that they have. And Levante's goal scoring tends to be that exclamation point on that fight. No question. Now, break it down for us in the national championship game. They're either going to have Indiana or Pittsburgh. Um, at last check, Indiana was up one to nothing um, while we're they recording this. Still are. Still are up one to nothing. Um, what are what are Syracuse's chances against both teams? Is is Syr- Syracuse is probably going to be the favorite going into the matchup either way, uh, but how much of a favorite are they against those teams? And um, you know, what are your prognostications? Is, is Syracuse going to be winning its first ever soccer national championship? I haven't doubted them once this year, and they haven't disappointed me once this year. So I'm going to say they're going to win the national title. Um, and it's again from witnessing that team culture in the way if you look at the game winning goal numbers, it's that it's that intangible, like that fight that just not every program has. And again, when you're in the final four, all the teams to a certain extent are gonna have this. But out of every team, 
they've played so many close games this entire tournament, even in the ACC tournament, and they still come out on top. All Even during the regular season, they were in these one-goal, two-goal games. They still found a way to go on top. They take on the most prolific offense in the entire country and still outscore them, still hold them to just two goals, um, hold the leading goal scorer to just one, and it was a very early goal from Duncan McGuire in that second half. Um, but against either of these sides, I take Syracuse. Um, I think Pitt, in my opinion, um, would be a tougher matchup just because I think they have a little bit more creativity uh, on the attack. But again, I, it's maybe more because I've been exposed to ACC soccer all season, so I've been kind of keeping my eye on them a little bit more. Um, but Indiana's a challenge less because of maybe what this squad is, but more because of their head coach and the fact that they have a team and a program that is built on winning. Second most national championships of any team in the entire country. I believe they're at eight, second to St. Louis, who is 10. Um, so you're going up against a pedigree, uh, a class organization, a program in Division One soccer if you get Indiana. And again, they're up one nothing, so it's looking like that. But again, full half of soccer, anything can change. Um, and then Pitt's one of those teams that, for me, has been maybe a little underwhelming, underperforming in terms of just securing the results they should secure. Um, and a lot of their games during the regular season, ACC tournament, um, I pointed to that UVA game before, but that loss to UVA before they were about to play Syracuse was an inexplicable loss. It was just because they gave up an early goal. UVA was able to pack it in and just prevent them from scoring. Um, but I think this pit team, especially when they're playing confident, when they can get those guys going forward and get those chances, they're a very dangerous team. But regardless, I don't think anyone's as dangerous as uh, what Syracuse has to offer, what Levante and, uh, and Apoku offer up front, what that midfield has to offer um, with Anthony, with Baselli, Byros, Kachevsky, all of them. Labeled's my favorite player, I think, that I've gotten to watch. But I actually got a message from one of my friends who watched Syracuse for the first time today and started comparing Apoku to uh, Rafael Leao from uh, AC Milan, uh, which is a pretty stout comparison uh um i don't think uh poku would be offended by that one at all um but again this i'm coming back a little bit too to the defense wins championships syracuse was able to play with their defense stop a ton of opportunities and create their opportunities out of the back from their defense and it comes down to curdy with a huge goal comes down to the guys like olu like abdi honestly two of the funniest guys i've ever talked to but two guys that are athletic. They can control that, that wing. And they were also able to adapt when Syracuse had to move to more of a back four because of the chances that it was creating. So I don't see any reason why Syracuse won't be hoisting a cup on Monday and why I won't be extra sad that I'm not there. Well, before we get to, to football, cause there is obviously a ton to get to with Syracuse football. I just want to add this, this little note you hear oftentimes almost every sport, um, you know, when you start getting in the postseason and a team's making a run, it's like, oh, it's the team of destiny, right? And certain teams get certain, uh, you get a certain vibe around them, that this team just finds ways to win, and it almost doesn't matter what gets thrown at them. They just figure out a way to win. Um, I'll do a comparison to my team, the Philadelphia Eagles in 2017. They lost their starting quarterback, who was the NFL, the leading candidate for the NFL MVP at the time. And they throw their backup in, they kind of change how they play and figure out ways to win games and end up winning the Super Bowl. Now, obviously, Syracuse doesn't have the same injury type of issues, but the the comparison in terms of a team of destiny still fits. And you see that in in a lot of sports. This kind of feels the same way. Uh, So we'll see if they're able to put the finishing touches on that. Uh, Monday night, I believe, is is when 
when that takes place. Um, and, and I think it's on ESPNU. It'll be broadcast. So for I think it deserves an upgrade, but I, I believe I, you're right. I, it does. Um, you know, the, the final four of anything, I think, should be ESPN, ESPN2, something. And, and it's not like these games aren't entertaining, right? You don't have yeah. zero, zero games that are going into penalty kicks every single game. I mean, you've got goals, you have action. It's fast paced. They don't sit around at midfield and pass the ball back and forth. I mean, they're it's, it's nonstop all game. It's, it's very entertaining to watch. Yeah. yeah two final points. The first one being, did any, did you, either of you guys get a chance to see the uh, women's championship that was uh, this past uh, week? I did not watch the final four. I watched, uh, I watched women's college soccer during the regular season when Syracuse was playing, but I did not watch the, the NCAA tournament. Uh, a within the final minute game tying goal from UCLA to send it into extra time, make it, I believe it was two, two, um, for UNC, they had a, a player score a brace and, uh, in overtime UCLA after being behind for almost the entire game, ended up winning it and winning a national title. Um, that was a, an electric game, a crazy final goal to, uh, to push it into overtime. Um, and the second point was that Indiana just scored. It's two to nothing with 17 seconds before halftime. So it's, so it's, it's looking, certainly looking seems like, like orange it's going to be the Hoosiers. Yes, sir. Um, the last time they squared off in a national championship, well, we, we, won't, we won't go there. Uh, different sport. Um, it's, it's a sore subject in Central New York. So, uh, But let's, let's transition to the other football um, what a day Thursday was, huh? <laughs> what a day. I <laughs> mean, just, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking it's going to be a normal day, getting some work done, hanging out. And then the Tony white news drops, right? Tony white is off to Nebraska to be their defense coordinator. Okay. So you deal with that and you're right about that. And you're trying to figure out who's going to be his replacement and you figure out it's Nick Monroe is the interim and he's going to call plays during the, uh, pinstripe bowl and how is this going to affect recruiting and you know kind of looking at all those types of things and then you know you think the day is over uh that was huge news obviously dominated all the local talk and it's kind of late at night i put my son to bed uh my wife goes up to bed a little bit early and i'm just playing nintendo switch relaxing right playing playing video games and then all of a sudden my phone starts blowing up because Robert and I has also left uh, the offensive coordinator. He is now going to be not just leaving, but he's going in the, your same conference against one of your rivals or to one of your rivals, I should say, to be the offensive coordinator at NC State. Now, what I wasn't aware of at the time is he actually has some connections to NC State. Um, he's got his his sons are, are living down in North Carolina or attending um, some of the universities down there and or coaching down there. So um from a family perspective, it makes sense why he would want to relocate to the state of North Carolina. Um, but it, just to start and then, and then, you know, the, the um, end of that is that Jason Beck was promoted from quarterbacks coach to offensive coordinator. So all of that goes down in just a crazy day, complete shakeup of Syracuse's coaching staff. Josh, we'll start with you your reaction to all of this as it went down on Thursday? Uh, you know, the Tony White news, that was, that was shocking. That's enough. That's one big, that's a big enough bombshell for, you know, the offseason. honestly, you know, that's a guy that, you know, you've interacted with another guys. I have, 
you know, even talking in the preseason, like they love that guy. Like Kevin Darden and other guys have said, we love that guy on multiple occasions. He is really, you know, the 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 rallying cry in terms of the connection from the players to the staff. You know, is is a very hard balance that you have to strike between being the players coach and being somebody that you know commands respect at a moment's notice. And Tony White, you know, did it in a way, in a way, in a way that uh, galvanized an entire group of very already very talented players. So that'll be a big hole to fill. You know, I was talking about the three three five. You know, that's not a new scheme. I mean, it's cool that Tony White ran it so well, but that's not a new scheme. People been running three three five for years now. Um, so. But the the impact, the relationship that he had with the the players and the, the respect that they had for him, you know, you're not going to replace that anytime soon, honestly. So that's that's a that's a big blow. Um, and I really don't. I mean, we can we can talk about it a little later. I don't see any realistic ways to even kind of you know get sixty cents on a dollar for that because it's you know, realistically, both of these uh, both of these coordinators are leaving for a job to or equal or better, and it's like. Now, in order to get to replace it, you're going to get somebody from a lower level, or you know, that hasn't been a coordinator yet. But you know, Robert and I, that's again, <laughs> you never want to be in a position to where you have no play callers on either side of the ball at any moment. Um, again, we both heard things about you know, just some of the some of the the, the lack of clarity between the program and um, the players and the locker room, things like that. And um, you know, this is kind of pointing to that, you know. Both coordinators don't usually leave a school right after the season ends, or even before the bowl game is. Like that says something about the state of your program and how you know coaches feel about coaching there. You know, obviously, you know, Anai and family stuff like that. But um, you know, regardless, people don't leave good situations to go to, to situations that aren't hourly that much better. So um, that, that's that's a big thing. You know, on the bright side for a silver lining, from what I observed, at least in the preseason, um, Josh Beck, he was uh, the Josh, of course, Jason Beck. Oh, my bad. Dang, never mind. It didn't work. That's Jason okay. Beck, um, he was a lot more hands-on in terms of offense. I mean, he's obviously a lot younger than Robert and I. And he was the guy that really I saw a lot doing a lot of stuff with Garrett Schrader and really being, like, you know, more vocal in terms of play calling. And obviously, you know, age doesn't really matter. Your brain is your brain. But, you know, I guess if you, one of your offensive play callers had to leave, I guess you would rather have the old dude than the young dude. So not a lot to go off of, but – I think that, you know, we we want to give some put a positive spin on it. I think Jason Beck was kind of the hardest soul to often the play calling of strength last year. So I think that him stepping up into a role won't be a big deal. But outside of that, I have no. Sammy, your thoughts. Um, I mean, for me, I was I feel like it was fairly similar along the lines there with Josh. And I found the um I wasn't as Concerned necessarily with the Anai move as as I was White, uh, and and I actually don't mind the uh, the, the Beck move as well. Um, I I think it's a good idea to a certain extent um, in many opportunities if you can to try to promote with within, um, especially if these coordinators are working together, kind of teaching each other things. Especially as a younger guy, if you're able to learn from the guy who's there before. Um, and I think Anai had done a lot of really good things at the start of the year, and maybe kind of felt certain fans might've felt a certain way about decisions towards the end of the season. Um, but overall they had something that was working and he proved, um, that he can kind of conduct, he can conduct a strong offense, um, against high caliber opponents, but that kind of fell to the wayside a little bit towards the end of the season. Um, and again, my concern, like Josh mentioned, was the movement, the jobs that were similar 
we're not like massive upgrades or moving from a offensive coordinator to a head coach or something like a similar movement. So that makes me question kind of where the program is um, relationships maybe between the coaches. I don't know um, specifically what the reasons are, why these coaches chose to leave. Um, you mentioned a couple of things that make sense family wise, whatever. Um, but I do question where the program's at in terms of maybe just healthy relationships or a healthy place to work. I understand it's getting cold and that might be another incentive. Um, <laughs> but, but given that both of the coordinators decided to leave, it might be a little bit more than just the weather. Uh, true story, actually, as a side note, Syracuse actually offered a transfer wide receiver whose first name is DeColdest. I did see that. That that's that is uh, real life. That that happened. There is someone. There is someone named DeColdest, and yes, his last name is Crawford. And then Syracuse, of course, they. I think they offered him out of high school as well. Uh, but they're they're now offering him as a as a transfer. Now the marketing uh, opportunities. The I marketing mean, opportunities. He already has an NIL deal with it with an air conditioning company. But if you put him in Central New York, I mean, it's through the roof. Through the roof. Um, okay, so I'll I'll give some some thoughts here. The first on Tony White, I, I think that's clearly of the two the bigger blow. Uh, I, I don't really think it's all that close, and I think the main reason is look at what Tony White has done um, in his time at Syracuse. He took a defense that was ranked in the nineties consistently in terms of total defense nationally and put them into the top 20, top 30 uh, for at least the last two years and, and showed marked improvement in year one as well. He's a fantastic coach. There's, there's no if, ands or buts about it. And so when you lose a really good coach who has completely turned around your defense, then that is obviously a blow to your program. Now he my understanding um, from talking to some people is I don't think this was a money situation. I know he's got a previous relationship with uh, with Matt Rule, who's taking over at Nebraska. Um, and ultimately, you know, I, I think he's trying to find certain stepping stones in order to ultimately become a head coach. I think that's his ultimate goal. And so he thought this move would be put him in better position uh, to to get the right head coaching job um, that he wants. But I also know that he's turned down other opportunities to leave uh, since he's been at Syracuse. So I don't think this was strictly a I got to get out of Syracuse thing. Um, but and and I do know that Syracuse did counter offer to try to try to keep him. That said, there's there is a perception that Syracuse does not pay its assistance top dollar compared to high-level programs, high-level Power 5 programs. And that perception is not going to go away when you have your coordinators leaving for other coordinator jobs. If they were leaving for head coaching jobs, I don't think anyone is going to look at that and say, this says something bad about your program, because ultimately all coordinators want to be head coaches. So that's that's where I feel about Tony White. I think it's a blow. Um, I understand the concern about the program as a result, um, but – it, it kind of is what it is. Um, and, and I do know that he did stick around Syracuse longer than he had opportunities uh, to, to leave. So with the Robert and Nye thing, um, you know, I, he wasn't overly active as a recruiter. Um, I know that he and Beck have been tied together for a number of years, but um, some of the play calling 
down the stretch of the season, Sammy, as you mentioned, they went through that stretch where, you know, the offense wasn't very good. I understand there were injuries and, and all of that, but um, the play calling got very strange, I would say in, in certain situations. And, you know, Jason Beck is, I think the guy that if you had to pick an eye or Beck, Beck is younger. Um, he has the reputation of being a really strong recruiter, really good developer of quarterbacks and he was going to have opportunities to be an offense coordinator somewhere, if not this year, then next year. So you promoting him to offense coordinator allows you to keep a rising star in the coaching community uh, for at least a little bit longer. So ultimately, I think this has the potential to be a better move for your program in the long run um, if things work out. But to Josh's point, the concern is now you've got guys at both coordinator positions who don't have experience calling plays. And Jason Beck can be a fantastic coach. He can be an amazing coach and a great developer of quarterbacks. And he is those things. He's very highly respected. Um, he His stock has risen over the last handful of years with what he's done with quarterbacks at Virginia and Garrett Schrader at Syracuse. But calling plays is a whole different animal. There's a lot more to it than you know, just pulling up the playbook and Madden and put, putting, you know, left A. I'm going to pick that play this one. You know, it, you have to set things up. You can't be predictable um, and, and all of those things. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But I think that one is a lot easier uh, to absorb at this point than the Tony White one is. So the next part of this is with with Beck as the offense coordinator. And again, I think ultimately it's going to end up being a good thing and I think he, he's going to be a future head coach and he's going to be a really good head coach uh, at some point. So I, I'm I'm really high on Jason Beck and the type of coach he can be, even even without the current play calling experience as as we stand here. But defensively, that's I, I think that's where the concern is, because, A, Dino Babers is an offensive head coach, so he's got a ton of experience as an offensive coach, and so he can help coach Beck with some of that. He's not a three, three, five expert to the level that Tony white was. So it's a little more difficult, I think for him to take on some of those responsibilities. So the question is, how do you approach replacing Tony white? Do you try to go find another three, three, five guru, maybe someone that's at a smaller school. Do you just go find the best available defense coordinator that you can and hire them regardless of scheme? Do you hire from within because you've had assistant coaches who have been there for, you know, two, three years under coach white have learned and maybe are ready at this point. Uh, we'll start with you, Josh, if you're Dino Babers, what, what is your approach to trying to replace Tony white? Cause as you said, getting 60 cents back on the dollar, I believe was your quote. Um, assuming that's the case, how do you try to push that closer to that dollar? What's, what's your approach to this? Um, you know, like you said, something I, I just learned. They talk about you know, all coaches, uh, like you said, all coordinators want to be coaches, you know, and with that experience and upbringing, you, de- you develop a certain uh, philosophy. So, obviously, uh, Babers, Dino, Coach Dino is an uh, offensive coach. And, you know, like you said, your your tendency, your play calling, just your culture will always, you know, revolve around based on whether your coach is offensive guy, defensive guy. You know, it's not splitting hairs. So, that makes, um, you know, the defensive coordinator position just that much more important. So, knowing that, you know, Babers is a only offensive guy that, you know, you would need a big pick-me-up from the defensive side of the ball. I would stray more towards find the best defensive mind out there and worry about the fit later. Because, again, the biggest thing with Tony White was his ability to connect with these guys. 
once you, you can connect with your players in a way, again, it's a very delicate line between not being a player's coach and being able to not be a drill sergeant. Once you find that connection, a lot of stuff falls into place quickly. Guys want to play for you. Talented guys want to play for you. Those talented guys start just shining those roles. So once you have this domino effect, you know, it's quickly to see where, you know, unfortunately for SU, a guy like Tony White that may or may not have been super known before he got to SU, quickly is looking at, look, quickly looked at as one of the uh, best young minds on the defensive side of the ball. So I will say, you know, the same way that you found Tony White, go out and find another young, talented defensive mind and don't necessarily glue yourself to that idea that he needs to be a 3-3-5 guy or he needs to look like Tony White in any type of way. So uh, Josh wants someone who, regardless of scheme, uh, can connect with players as kind of one of his uh, most important criteria. So that's me. So I'm going to apply, and we're going to run the first ever 7-2-2 defense. No one's running on us. No one. That said, Sammy. Five hundred yards a game in the the air. Minor detail. We're going to lead the country in run defense. Minor detail. I'm going for it. I'm going for it. Sammy, if if you're Dino Babers, how are you approaching this? Um, if I'm Dino Babers, I'm keeping. I'm making Monroe my choice just because of maybe that loyalty that he's been around for so long. He's absorbed so much, and he is as good as he is on the recruiting side of everything, which I, it does carry a lot of weight. Um. But if I'm not Dino Babers and I'm absolutely anybody else, I might be looking outside for the best option. Um, Monroe, he's been around Babers for a while, and I think Babers would be probably a better person to ask on Monroe's credentials than than I would, Um, especially not being able to see him in a more exposed position like an an actual offensive or defensive coordinator. Um, I feel like you get when you get a guy in that position from the outside, you can kind of maybe give a better opinion on what you see from them as a potential option for hit for as far as Monroe's concerned, we can only maybe recruit, uh, talk about his recruiting because you don't necessarily see the outcome of this, uh, to the same degree as you would as, as, as another coordinator, maybe with what you see on the field. Um, but there is maybe that tip. I, I, I do agree with Josh that going outside, finding someone that's player friendly, as long as you can, I, I do think they should try to keep Monroe. I don't, you don't want to like not promote him and upset him in some way by not promoting him because the consequences of that, again, with coaches always trying to find that next step up and trying to uh, improve their own careers as well is a little, little difficult. Um, but I don't necessarily know what the correct choice is, whether if I was in Baber's shoes, that would be the right choice or if looking outside is the right choice. Uh, the right choice is me in the seven two two, but assuming that okay, assuming that's not going to happen, um, I'm I'm completely on board with with the promotion of Nick Monroe, and and there's a couple of reasons why. Um, I think Syracuse has actually done a pretty good job, at least in the back end of their defense, linebackers and secondary. We know defensive line is still an issue with uh, recruiting, with developing players, and with um, creating depth there. Mm-hmm. And regardless of who you bring in. You don't want to lose that. And continuity, I think, in a lot of cases is a good thing. Nick Monroe has been with Dino Babers for, you know, almost a decade at this point. Uh, He has been promoted to defensive passing game coordinator. He has developed multiple guys at Syracuse that have been drafted into the NFL um, at positions that he's coaching. And he's... A, to a lot of people, a lot of people believe that he's the best recruiter on staff. 
And to Josh's point about being able to connect with players, I completely agree with that point as almost any coach that you're trying to hire, right? Whether it's a position coach or a coordinator, I think it's an underrated quality when people are evaluating how good or, or not good a coach is, is their ability to connect with players, both on the recruiting trail and when um, you're working with them every day in practice and, and all of those things. Um, Nick Monroe does all of those things. His players love him and, and, you know, player recruits love him. Even recruits that that he hasn't um, recruiting battles he hasn't won. Those players still stay in contact with him because of how much they respect him and like him. I think he checks that box. And if you're not going to promote him and give him a chance to be the defensive coordinator now, when are you? He's been with D- Dino for ten years. He's worked with multiple defensive schemes. He's a- adjusted and adapted to all of them. As your defensive passing game coordinator. He was essentially your number two to Tony White. So for continuity's sake, for he's earned the right to have this opportunity, all of those things, it seems to make the most sense. And if he was in the same position that he's in now, but was at another school, and you said, hey, that guy, we're going to go bring in and make him a defense coordinator for the first time. And he was a guy that you hired, and he was from an outside school but the same resume, I think a lot of people go, oh, you know, there's a young coach. I know he hasn't been defense coordinator before, but look at all the the NFL caliber players and all conference caliber players that he's coached. Um, he's been successful everywhere he's been, has a great recruiting track record. This seems to check a lot of boxes. I'm on board with giving this a chance. Well, now you've got that same situation, but he's in your program has been coaching your system for the last three years. Um, and I think... I think the if you're worried about a max a mass exodus to the transfer portal from your current players, this would stem some of that. Um, and I think it would give you the best opportunity to close out your 2023 recruiting class, and especially with transfer targets. Um, you know, I'll, I'll make a couple of comments on recruiting. With these coaching changes, the first thought immediately was Lenora Sellers, the quarterback commit that Syracuse has. Uh, I believe on three has him rated as a four star. Uh, they've got him. I think they have him rated highest of any of the services, but um, he's he's a very highly regarded quarterback prospect. South Carolina has really been pushing, trying to get him to flip. So when you lose your offense coordinator, Robert and I, the immediate thought is South Carolina, the SEC school. He's from South Carolina. They're going to have a better opportunity to flip him. Uh, but he is tightly tied to Jason Beck. Beck was his primary recruiter. That's his guy. So that helps uh, the promotion of Beck, I think, helps keep a potential really, really good quarterback prospect in your recruiting class. Uh, the three defensive prospects that they have committed, uh, Zion Moultrie Goddard, linebacker, um, Rashard Perry, defensive lineman, and Jaleel Smith, defensive lineman, all from New York State, by the way. Um, all said that they're still signing with Syracuse despite the the loss of of Tony White, even though they were disappointed that they weren't going to be able to play for him. So those are all good things. But if you want to keep that recruiting continuity, I I think Monroe is is the guy. That's if I'm Dino Babers, that's what I do because I actually do think he checks some of not all of but some of the boxes that that Josh lined up that that Josh mentioned. Now, he clearly doesn't with the experience and calling plays and and some of those things. But I do think he's a young and up and coming coach. I know he has also had opportunities to leave that he is that he has turned down and he's been extremely loyal to Dino. He's essentially New York guy. You know, he he uh, he coached it 
think it was Colgate before he came um, to Syracuse uh, or before he got on the Dino Babers train with uh, Bowling Green and then Syracuse. He coached at Colgate for a number of years. So, you know, he's essentially New York guy. And I, I think it just makes a ton of sense. Now, he's going to be calling plays in the pinstripe bowl. Does that mean that that's an audition for him, so to speak? Maybe. We'll see how it goes. But that's that's a tough situation, too. You don't know which players are going to play. Um, you know, a couple of them could decide to opt out because they're, they want to focus on, on turning pro it's a one game situation. Um, but you got three weeks to prepare. It's, it's just kind of a weird thing, I think. And you don't know how motivated players are going to be because of all these coaching changes. So it's, I think it's, it's tough to be that as your audition, so to speak, but we'll see what he makes of it. Um, ultimately it's, it's, the offseason's not done. It's just begun, and there's a lot more that's that's going to happen, I think, uh, before Syracuse football is settled on what it's going to look like from a coaching perspective and uh, from a roster perspective headed into 2023. But that'll do it for Episode 62 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. For Sammy and Josh, I'm Mike McAllister, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.